Because if you can't make money with $2,500, you can't make money with twenty five grand. And if you can't make money with twenty five grand, you'll never get to $250,000 or $2.5 million. Hey, Alex here. We're going to jump right into part two of my interview with Chris Hansen. Today, we're going to learn how to identify the best trades for us to take. If you like part one, share this with a friend. Let's jump right in. There's a difference between like a friend and an ally. Okay. Right. And so an ally, they, they understand what you need and what you're fighting for right? What your goal is, the objective, the things that you're trying to overcome. And you know, without a doubt, they'll fight with you, right? Whatever things that you're trying to achieve. Um, And allies understand that your success does not detract from them, does not detract detract from their success. Yeah. Right. But some of your friends are going to feel threatened by your success. And when you run into them, it doesn't mean you never call them again. But the level of discussion that you have with them, the level of intimate discussion, I don't mean from a sexual, physical way, but mental intimacy is at a much different level than it is with an ally. Yeah. And so if you want to call it a friend, ally, whatever it may be, but it's really somebody on your boat, right? That's blowing wind in the sail versus someone that's not. Yeah. And and, and it's cool, right? There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. You think, you, you got buddies, how old are you? If I'm asking. 27. You have buddies that you were friends or people, you know, you were friends with in high school and college that you're not in your life today. Mm, no, so you reach out to them and you say hello every now and Facebook friends, whatever else, but yeah. nearly to the degree back then. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You just grow at different rates. They could be fixed. You could be growing or they're growing different. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's going to happen between today at 28 to when you're 38, right? It continues with that. And so you just, there's no, no problem with that. So, so back to your group question. So one group you ignore, right? <laughs> okay. that's not possible. You just ignore them. It's like, you know, in your mind, you're flipping them the bird, right? Mm. You physically do it, but it just get them out of there. Um, if you're feeling punchy and you're already at, um, people call it financial freedom. I call it time freedom. Financial freedom means you got your money. You're working on your stuff. Time freedom to me says your money's working for you. You have to do very little with it. I much prefer time freedom. Uh, but we can talk about that later on if you want. Um, but what if I'm feeling alpha dog-esque, then all I do is look at the person and <laughs> say, look, when I want to make the money that you make, I'll ask you for advice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a total asshole move. But it really drives the point home because they had nothing to say. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you want to be more polite and open someone's eyes to the possibilities, um, <clears throat> I was talking to a guy probably six, nine months ago, and I, I just randomly came up with this like, oh man, that was really good. And we were talking, he would ask about this class that I teach. And he said, you know, boom. and I've had this discussion enough with people. I knew what he wanted to say. And I said, dude, you can just say it. My feelings won't be hurt. And what he wanted to say was, how do I know you're not just selling some snake oil? You're not just a bullshit artist. And he goes, yeah, that's basically one I asked, but I don't know how to say it politely. I said, cool, I'll ask it. Is that right? Yep, that's it. I said, cool. Well, there's no way to know, right? Because I'm not going to show you a bank balance. And even if I did, you don't know, did I inherit it? 
did I earn it? Like, right. And show you, so you got, no matter what I show you, you're always going to have doubt, but think of it this way. And he lived in, he was living in Chicago and this is during COVID. I was in LA. I said, Hey, right now I could hop a flight and I could be in Chicago in a few hours. And I know it'd be really easy because the planes are empty. And in the time that it takes me to meet you in Chicago, what I want you to do is pick someplace on the map, anywhere in the world you want to go to that is middle of nowhere someplace. If you want to go, I don't know, backwards Arkansas or backwards Mississippi, wherever the hell some backwards place in the, in the U.S., cool. If you want to go middle of South America in the Amazon rainforest, cool. You want to go to some place that ends in Stan, you know, Pakistan, <laughs> Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, whatever. Something like that. I'm going to go middle of China. I'm going to go, I don't care, middle of Africa, wherever you want to go. You pick the place. And what we're going to do is we're going to fly there. And usually when you go to a place like that, third world country, we're going to fly into the capital. And what we're going to do then, if you've ever done um, third world travel, international flights land at one end of the airport. And we're going to walk to the other side of the airport where the planes are not as nice. And they look like they were built in the late 50s or 60s and they're barely still running. And we're going to hop on one of those and we're going to fly to a second or third tier city within that country. And when we land, middle of nowhere, wherever we are, we're going to go out and get a cab. And it's not going to be a nice cab like you would see at the airport in L.A. or New York. There's no Uber. There's no Lyft out there. It's going to be some guy driving maybe a flatbed truck. It might even be something like a, a donkey pulling a cart, right? I'm talking really extreme third world, nothing there. And I want him to take us to the edge of town. And then once we get there, I'm going to say, drive us 30 miles or whatever the number of kilometers that is. And the next village we hit, drop us in the middle. And again, I'm telling this guy in Chicago, he's like, where the hell are you going with this? So now we're in the middle of nowhere, wherever it is, third world country somewhere. We run into some 30, 35 year old guy in this little village, middle of nowhere. Hopefully he speaks English. If not, we've got our taxi cab translator with us. I'm going to say to him and say, hey, sir, this is your lucky day. What I want you to do, get in this taxi cab thing with us. We're going to drive you, you know, 40 miles back into the city. We're going to get on an airplane and we're going to fly into the capital. And then we're going to fly back to Chicago or LA. And the guy's going to go, airplane, what's that? Oh, you mean airplanes? Oh, what an airplane is this? It's a tube of metal. And it weighs probably, I don't know, 20, 30 tons maybe. And it flies through. And it's got these other pieces of metal jutting. It looks like a Coke can with a couple of metal pieces sticking out of the side. And there's probably 200 people on it, and it's going to fly six, seven miles up in the air at about, I don't know, four or 500 miles an hour, something like that. And it'll do it for 12 hours, and we'll be on the other side of the world. And he's going to say, there's no way that a 20-ton Coke can can fly through the air with 200 people in it at 500 miles an hour. So, okay, I guess you're right, but we're going to do it anyway, even though you've never seen it. And then we're going to land in Chicago, LA, wherever we land, and- there's going to be a city with five, 10 million people there. And he's going to go, wait, my village has 48 people. There, there's no cities with five or 10 million people in it. That's impossible. Go, oh, okay. But we're going to land in the city with five or 10 million people that you've never seen. <clears throat> and what we're going to do is we're going to drive through, we're going to go through a downtown area and downtown areas there have these skyscrapers that are, you know, 50, 60, 80 stories tall. And he's going to say, wait a minute, in my village, we have buildings that are two stories tall but not many of them because whenever we have an earthquake, they crumble down because we don't have building codes and they don't know how to build something more than 20, 30 feet tall. There's no way you can have a building that's 80 stories tall. So, okay. And then we're going to go into this other building 
that is under one roof and there's about a hundred thousand square feet all under a single roof. And he's going to go, no, not possible. My room is 20 by 20. And in a stiff wind, it blows over. There's no way you could have a hundred thousand square feet under one roof. I say, okay, you're right. But in that hundred thousand square feet that it does exist, there's more food in that building than can feed your village in five years. And there's building supplies that could build 18 of your villages. And there's entertainment stuff in there, TVs and electronics and all kinds of stuff in there. And if you want, you can get a job there. They'll hire you. And even though you don't speak the language, you can pick up a broom and a mop and they'll, they'll pay you $15 an hour or so to mop the floor and clean the toilets and sweep out the parking lot. He's going to go, no way does anyone get paid $15 an hour to push a broom. Go, yeah. And then if you keep working, you could end up managing other people that push brooms. You'd be a manager. Maybe you go out and run it and be a store manager. And this would be like at a Costco, a Target, uh, a Walmart, a Sam's Club, some big you know warehouse type store. And if you keep working hard, you could end up managing the store. And store managers might make $100,000 a year. And he's going to say, there's no way that anybody can make $100,000 a year. That's crazy. And you say, yeah, I know. Do you want to get on the plane? Because your reality is way different than my reality. And so when somebody will say to me, there's no way you can make a living in the stock market, I don't know what to say to them because it's what I do. Or you can say, hey, you know, well, let's talk tomorrow. See, today's Sunday. Let's talk. What are you doing tomorrow about 930 in the morning? Oh, you're going to be at work? Well, I can call you because I'll be home in my pajamas. <laughs> and so. That, that'll that that'll drive the point home, huh? Yeah. But that and when you say that to people, they either are, they <laughs> some of the listeners are going, dude, this is a really long story. Or you really stop and think and realize just because it's not your reality doesn't mean it's not somebody else's. Yeah. And all you got to do is open your eyes to the, like, well, maybe this is possible and take a look at it and see. I mean, I wouldn't even have to go that far. When I was growing up in, in, in high school, you could have told me that, you know, a kid can sit in his living room and, and put a couple of lines and, and letters next to each other and create an app and sell it for a hundred million dollars. Yep. Right. You could have told me that. And I would say, no way you, if you're going to make a hundred million dollars, you got to go to the NFL or you got to be, you know, you got to be the press CEO of a company. Yep. You, you would have to get on that plane in order to, to, to see that. So you didn't have to go that far for, to, to break somebody's entire world apart uh, just to understand it. But I could see how it's even harder for you to explain to somebody. You can't. But then the other thing too, is sometimes you, like you use the number saying, Oh, it'd be a hundred million dollars to do that. Most people can't get their mind around a hundred million. And if you say, well, and most people can't get their mind around a million. Right. And if you don't have a hundred grand in your account today, you're like, wow, I can't imagine it'd be like to have a hundred grand on my account. Like, right. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it all yeah. depends on how big your, you know, what, how big is your, your, um, the bucket of your mind, if you will. Yeah. Right. Are you thinking as a hundred air? Are you thinking as a thousand air? Are you thinking as a 10,000 air? Are you thinking as a hundred thousand air or as a millionaire? You say, well, I want to be a billionaire. It's like, dude, if you ain't made a million yet, don't worry about a billion. You know, worry about the first 10 grand, then worry about 50, then worry about 100, and then 200, and then five, and then 750, and then a million. And it's, it just, if you, it, it's like digging a ditch. You know, if you had to dig a ditch for 50 yards, you don't go, man, look how good it's going to be in 50 yards. Just grab the goddamn shovel and dig. 
right? And there now you just, you made progress on a foot and then two feet and three feet. Now you're at 10 feet. You only got, you know, 40 yards to go or whatever the math is. You just keep turning the shovel. So for someone who's just, is just picking the shovel up, a lot of the listeners are just picking it up and are still kind of unsure. What are some, uh, I, I guess you'd, you'd lump this into, to money management, right? Cause if they, it, to get to be able to manage a hundred thousand or a hundred million, you got to learn how to manage a hundred first. Right. And that is that, does that fit into that 95% how to think 5% do, or do you need to do a little bit more how to do with that hundred dollars? Like does, do the numbers change with a smaller amount? Nope, not at all. So what you want to think of is this, whatever's I've got strategies that I use, right? And you can use mine, you go use somebody else, it doesn't matter. Once you're able to figure out a strategy and an approach, a methodology, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> that works. And you say, well, how do I know if it works? Well, you got to have some level of trust in the in the book you're reading, the person teaching, whatever it is. And then really trust your gut. Does this resonate with me? Does this make sense? <clears throat> can this person explain it in a way that makes sense to me? And if the answer is yes, at some point, you just got to plug your nose and jump in the pool. Um, just don't jump in head first, right? You jump in, <laughs> you jump in feet first. You don't want to hurt yourself. But you start off with, like I tell people, you start off with a paper trading for at least a year. You go, paper trade for a year? Dude, I want to make money now. Like, no, you want to be a bazillionaire. It's not about making $15 or $150 or $1,000 this week. It's learning how to do the process so that now you can do it consistently again and again and again and again. And a different way of saying that is, <clears throat> well, we'll go down the paper route. So you, you do the paper trading for a little bit, a year plus. You've learned the techniques, the methods. You've, you've taught yourself that they work and that you can follow the rules and that the rules work when the markets are going up. They work when they're going down. They work when they're going sideways. It works when it's volatile. It works when it's flat. Once you've figured that out and you know that you can follow the rules, now what you do is you start with a really small amount of money, a couple thousand bucks. And I shouldn't say a couple thousand bucks, a couple thousand dollars. Because if I say bucks, it sounds like, ah, it's throwaway stuff. Say a couple thousand dollars, that sounds a lot more, ooh, that's something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you start with a few thousand dollars and you start applying what you did on paper with real money. And you're going to find that you are an emotional 12-year-old prepubescent teenage <laughs> because you're so emotional about money. And everybody is this way. It's not a gender specific. It's not an age specific. Everybody behaves in this embarrassing fashion, uh, in this embarrassing emotional fashion. And you're not aware of it. But the stock market shows it to you every single day. And so now you're going to, now you have to mix in your emotions on this stuff on what you're doing on paper was working well. Now we put the money in there with your emotions and you're going to screw it all up because you're so emotional. Yeah. And once you learn to start recognizing and adjusting, you know, recognizing your emotions and learn to control your reactions to it. <clears throat> now, if the rules are good and if you're following them, you get to the point where you're making hopefully consistent dollars. You're just always going to have losses. It's always a loss statement in there. <clears throat> but the dollars are showing in. And if you fall into the trap of saying, well, wait, I only made $20 here, but this isn't worth my time. You go like, no, no, no. But if you can be, you know, if you trade one share or one contract or 10 shares, whatever your small number is, 
if you can be consistent with making money with a small amount of money, all we do now is we bump your trade size because the strategy is still the same. So if you can make money buying and selling two shares of a stock, and even if it's 50 cents, I don't care, but you do that again and again and, oh, got a loss. Okay, cool. Again and again and again, as long as the losses are small and you're consistent with the, with the wins and following the rules and have discipline, then all we do is now we bump the trade size. So rather than doing money with $2,500, we're now doing with 25,000. Because if you can't make money with $2,500, you can't make money with 25 grand. And if you can't make money with 25 grand, you'll never get to $250,000 or two and a half million. Yeah. I and, think that's about, a lot of people deal with that, right? You have to, a lot of people have the idea that you have to have money. You have to have a lot of money to make money. Do not, not true. But again, you know, that the person who's saying that is out in the middle of a third world country that doesn't believe an airplane can fly <laughs> <laughs> at 500 miles an hour, seven miles up in the air. Yeah. They yeah. haven't seen it. But once you can, and that's where people get messed, and that's the emotion, that's greed. They go, oh, wait, I did a couple of trades, great. Let me jump in big and I'll hit a home run. Like, no, you just got to hit bunts, get singles, just get on base. Um, you know, if you're, if you follow sports at all, the, the baseball hall of fame is in Cooperstown, New York. I've never been, I've just read about it, heard pictures or seen stories about it. It's mostly populated by singles hitters. There's a few home run, few home run hitters in there, but most of them are singles hitters. And the guys that hit the home runs, they got a lot of strikeouts. And so there's a huge emotional thing in the stock market. You're going to have losses. But if you keep going for home runs, you're going to have a lot of losses, and that will emotionally play on you. So you got to be cognizant of that. But if you just hit singles, do them again and again and again, and you don't have to change your strategy. You just bump your trade size and slowly increase it. And you get to the point where you don't want to have – you're always going to have a butterfly in your stomach, this little nervousness of, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? But you don't want to have the butterflies just be going nuts. You feel like you're going to vomit. And if you're, if you're feeling the, and it does happen, you almost feel like you're going to throw up if you push that much too much on a trade. If you're doing that, you're not ready for it. Back it back down to a number that you're comfortable with that still gives you a little bit of discomfort. So you got to think about it. And then stay with that and then slowly bump the trade size. Cause you're not trying to, you know, I want to be a millionaire tomorrow. Like, no, you want to be a hundred millionaire in the future. Yeah. Cause if you're but not, you, if you're not a 10,000 there now, how, why the hell you think about a million? <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do the step approach. Do you today, do you have that? Do you still feel uncomfortable when you, cause you're making a living doing it. So you're, you gotta be pushing something uh, that's bringing you back enough return to pay all your bills do you still feel that discomfort uh, when you're trading? Um, I wouldn't call it a discomfort, but I'd be sure that I push enough money that I think twice and say, okay, am I being emotional? Am I following my rules? Am okay. I doing what I'm supposed to do? Um, <clears throat> and it, I use the analogy of dating. And so if you and I were sitting, you and I look different. We live in different parts of the country. We have different life experiences. And so if either I fly to where you are, or you fly to where I am, we're going to go sit out in a populate, we'll sit on the beach of Miami or the beach in LA. And all I got to do is look at you and go, dude, give me an idea of what's attractive to you. Tell me, give me a big picture. What are you looking for? And you're going to say this height, this weight, this hair color, this eye color, whatever it is, right? You got a list of four or five criteria. Cool. And you're going to go, what about you? And I'm going to say, okay, these are these, you know, these are mine. 
and <clears throat> I'm going to look for your ideal trade, your ideal date, if you will, what catches your eye. And once I know what catches your eye, it might be attractive to me as well. Cool. But what's really attractive to me are my criteria. And likewise, I can tell you, here's what I look for. Oh, there's one that looks like that. There's another one. And now as we're both sitting there, you can go, hey, how about that one for you? That's perfect. You go, yeah, you're right. Does that grab you? And go, yeah, she's cute, but it, that's not that's not what makes you sit up. And likewise, same thing with me, right? Where our because of experience, our or maybe even just personality, our eye is drawn towards might be something different. Once you, and I call those prom queens in trading. Once you know what the prom queen is that you're looking for, and if you're a girl, it's, it's a prom king. I don't care, but just conceptually, it's a prom queen. Once you know what you're looking for, I don't look at anything else. But when, when a prom queen walks down the street, you know, you don't have to sit and stare at her for a long time. And go, <laughs> you just know, right? And in trading, it's the same thing. It's the setups that make you sit up and you can just glance at a chart and go, oh, there it is. And it just, but you got to look at, you know, if I told a 10 year old that they don't have enough life experience to know, if I tell an 18 year old that, you know, think back when you're 18 your ideal for a date probably had three characteristics. And that's how I was. But then you get to be 28 and now you realize that there's things that in addition to the your two or three characteristics at 18. That are important. Yeah. Important, but at 28, there's so much more. And when you get to be 38, there's going to be even more. And at 38 and 48, what was crucial at 18 is now like, okay, yeah, that's nice. But here's all the other stuff you're looking for. And trading's the same way. So you have to grow into that. And yet, even when you get to that point, you look and say, well, that is my that that is exactly what I'm looking for. But there's no guarantee that trade's going to work. And so there's always that uncertainty knowing that it could not work, which is fine. But I follow the rules that say if it's not working to this point, I bail and I'm out. And I look for the next one. So you could be waiting a long time before you before you actually put on a trade then. Um depends so the answer is yes and i would also say dude there's trades every day but if you want to have trades every day you got to sit there and watch it all day every day but if you if you like that yeah there's trades every day or almost every day and if you don't like sitting there watching it you don't have to you look at it at night and you you know what you're looking for and if there's no setup that is showing up then cool don't worry about it if there is jump in tomorrow it's um you ever skied uh, no, not officially. No. <laughs> so, but you know what skis are? Yes, I know what skis are. <laughs> so let's assume that you have, that you like skiing or snowboarding, whatever. Have you been on a snowboard? Uh, yes. Okay. And so right now we're recording this in May and it's May in Miami, which means snow doesn't exist <laughs> where you are. No. And so, but let's say you lived in, I don't know, up in the Northeast where snow does exist and mountains exist, where you could sneer, ski, ski or snowboard. Right now in May, you say, man, I'd really like to go boarding. Like, well, that's great, but you can't because the conditions aren't there. There's no snow in the mountains. So as much as you would love to go strap on a board and go, it's not the right time of year. It's not the right place. And so no matter how bad you want to go skiing and snowboarding, it ain't going to happen. And so just because you want to go doesn't mean the conditions are right. Likewise, just you sit down and look at the stock market and go, man, I got some time. I want to make some money tomorrow. Well, if it's 
not set up for you, you nothing you can do. Just because you want to play doesn't mean there's there's an opportunity for you. Yeah, yeah. And when you're making when you're making trades that are like again, covering your cost of living, you gotta be you have to be more careful, right? More precise. Or or would you say that it just as long as you follow your system, uh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Think about it this way. The wealthiest guy arguably is Buffett or, or the world's best investor is Buffett. And I could argue he's the wealthiest guy out there. You say, oh, Bezos and Gates have him beat. Buffett's going to beat by a long shot. Buffett is sitting at this point on over $100 billion in cash. And if the world's best investor is sitting on a mountain of cash, then why the heck are you and I looking to buy in <laughs> right now when the world's best is sitting on his hands? That doesn't mean we can't trade, but he's waiting for the, he's waiting for there to be blood in the streets. And it might mean that he misses a few good up years in the market. <clears throat> but the guy's 90. He's been doing this for, you know, 80, 70, 80 years, how long he's been at this. He's comfortable. He's confident. He knows when his opportunity will show up because human behavior repeats again and again, again and again. And again, and again. Yeah. And you just wait for those opportunities to show up. It, it'll snow at some point in the Northeast. You'll be able to go snowboarding, just not in May, right? You're going to have to wait till somewhere between October and January, and you'll be able to go. And you just didn't wait for it. talk about in tomorrow's episode is used by every investor in the world operating systems it doesn't matter how good your trading system is if you're not here tomorrow and you don't learn what chris is talking about tomorrow it will become increasingly difficult to reach a level of success that you can live off of your investments i'll see you tomorrow and remember as you begin searching for answers to life's challenges don't seek security Seek adventure.